There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Every day, around 350 Canadians are diagnosed with dementia. That's according to the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Seven more by the time this episode is over. As you may know, I have a personal stake in this. My mother, my father-in-law, my sister... Lost souls gut-punched by a relentless beast, descending into confusion and delirium as they withdrew from life itself. I've seen that movie a few too many times. Bringing the awareness of Alzheimer's and all the other stuff. But I'm helping them, they're helping me. Recently, I met a man who changed my perspective. His name is Ron Robert. Because I just sat here on my butt and didn't do anything. I'd likely be mumbling and whatever by now. Could I ask for anybody water or coffee or... That's Catherine Cornelius, Ron's wife. We're sitting in the kitchen at their home in London, Ontario. Ron and Catherine are a special kind of twosome. When, when am I speaking at Western next? On February 27th. So, Catherine, you're the social convener. You're the, oh. you're the, schedule, you're the schedule keeper. Yeah, oh, for sure. I think I heard wingman. Yep, that's okay. Well, I get I, I I get lost when I'm speaking sometimes, mm-hmm. and then I just turn to them and say, "What the heck was I just talking about?" And then they say, "This and this." She's very good at that, and also an excellent caretaker. She cracks the whip. Yeah, like I make the bed in the morning, I take the garbage out or take care of the garbage. What else do I do? Anything else? I'll let Catherine and Ron introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Ron Robert. I have Alzheimer's. I've had it for about six years, and I'm here with my wife, Catherine. Hi, I'm Catherine Cornelius Robert, and I've been married to Ron for over 30 years, and it's been quite a exciting journey. Never know what's up ahead, but I was looking forward to it. Ron is 85. He looks fit and wiry with white hair, clear eyes, and a strong hand grip. He's also got a surprising grip on living with dementia. I, I do a lot with the... Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the main campus, Western. Oh, Western, Western University. Okay. Yeah, I'm out there speaking. I don't know how many times I've addressed that. It's hard to imagine a happy ending to this story. But I'm here because the journey he's about to share with us may inspire you to see this horrific disease in a different light. Ron and Catherine, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us as well. Ron, I'm going to get right to the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're here we're to talk about the fact that you have Alzheimer's, which you've already said. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about being diagnosed, about the early days of, of, that led to you <laughs> being told you had Alzheimer's? Yeah, I, I first got uh, the idea is that I might have it. I had two brothers that passed away with Alzheimer's. So I wasn't completely shocked. 
But the first first time I went in, it was like the doctor there, the woman doctor at the time. She, she said, yes, you have Alzheimer's, but I'm not going to report it so you don't lose your driver's license. And I said, oh, that's good. And then I left that and thinking, oh, I'm okay. But then I kept getting lost. That was one of my early symptoms. You had trouble with navigation. Oh, man, did I have trouble with navigation. Catherine, take me back to, to the earliest symptoms that you were noticing. So there was navigation. What were you noticing that, that su- suggested that, that Ron might also have dementia like his siblings did? Right. Um, actually, it was sort of gradual. I really didn't understand it. Like, I wasn't even thinking about Alzheimer's at all. I just thought, oh, he's driving by the house after he came from the golf game. Where is he going <laughs> So that was a, a symptom or a sign that I thought. And then he finally came around the block and realized, oh, I forgot to, to drop uh, park at the house. <laughs> Lost his bearings, I guess. Uh, and then another time was, and again, it's all navigational for me of what I noticed. And uh, we were down in Florida and we were taking turns driving. And it was his turn to drive. And it was, say, I don't know, nighttime anyway. And we were pulling out of a gas station, and um, he was backing up, getting ready to go on the street, and he couldn't get his bearing. He just he just felt uncomfortable. Like I don't know, I don't I don't feel comfortable driving any further out of this parking lot because he just didn't feel which way, to go. Which way to go. Yeah. So navigation was one thing. Oh. Was there anything else that you were noticing? Uh, not a lot. Uh, short-term memory was going you know that typically and we all get it but it doesn't mean you have Alzheimer's but run up the stairs just to get something forget what the heck you went up the stairs for uh, forget to lock the door and I was getting very forgetful so that's when I went when my family doctor here in London said you better go get tested or I'll arrange for you to get tested so a woman doctor from uh, London. She was a occupational therapist, and that that interview was long. That was a long test. Like the other ones were like ten, fifteen minutes, but we went on for about an hour and a half at least. So when she left, she just said, "Nice meeting you, Ron. I'll let your doctor know." And then when the doctor phoned me, and he's a really great guy, and a good doctor, I think but not Alzheimer's. So he, he basically said, I got bad news, you've got Alzheimer's, and you, dry, and you lost your driver's license. Bye. Wow. And I thought, hmm. That was it. Yeah, like there was no, you know, what should I do after this? From the moment Ron was told he had Alzheimer's, he was determined not to take it lying down. So that's when I started thinking, okay, but I... I'm not going to just sit down on my button and, and let it take me over. I'm going to fight this cotton-picking thing. I was always taught early in life that the, the brain is like the most powerful instrument we have in our body, and it, we use one-tenth of it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then I remembered the book. <laughs> Sounds funny, but Norman Vincent Peale's um, um, Power of Positive power, Thinking. Power of Positive Thinking. Power of Positive Thinking. And I thought, yeah, that really made sense to me then. And I had read it years ago. That makes sense. I, I'm going to do something. So my first thing was I got to get into physical shape because I was pretty lazy back in that day. 
So I started a walking regime. And it's funny, because during the walking, I'd be thinking, okay, what else could I do? What else could I do? And, and I, I went into the Internet, and I, I looked at all the uh, suggestions for what to do with Alzheimer's. I didn't like any of them. None of them were empirical. You know, they were just suggestions. They weren't proven suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took French for a while. Je parle français, mais pas uh, comme il faut. Oh, after taking French, I thought, no, this isn't it. And then intuitively, I thought of university. Because as a young man, I started, you know, I started, um, I started in broadcasting at a very early age. Mm -hmm. I was 16. When Ron speaks, he jumps from past to present and sometimes loses his way. I've had a lot of practice, and I can figure out what he means. As a young man, Ron thought he'd go to university, but a job offer at a radio station in Saskatoon was more enticing. That launched a broadcasting career that eventually took him to Ottawa and the House of Commons. I was working for um, Selkirk News, which was a chain of radio stations then. Mm -hmm. About 34 stations, as I recall, uh, reporting back to them from the House of Commons. And from there, I then was offered a job by the Prime Minister. Pierre Trudeau. Pierre Elliott Trudeau to come in and work for him because we we used to argue uh, when he was, when I was a broadcaster and then as working for a bureau, I had the opportunity to interview him once a year or twice a year. I can't remember what the schedule was. I think we did about three interviews, at least television and radio. And my my statement to him, and it always came up, was that, you know, you you you're alienating the West because you're preoccupied. They think you're preoccupied with Quebec, and that would start the back and forth. And that's why I ended up being hired by Pierre Elliott Trudeau. He didn't want yes men around him. He wanted people to go out and to get the real story. Wow. So I worked for him for about three years. So you had an amazing career, and oh, I did. I'm going to take you back to yep. being diagnosed with with, <clears throat> with Alzheimer's and deciding that you wanted to go to university. And what I'm sensing is that you had a gnawing, you had this, oh yeah, you had this this long need, this regret that you hadn't gone to university. In the Definitely, first place. even before going to radio, I, I had that. I, I wanted. To to go to university. You wanted I loved, a higher I, education. I loved learning, and mm-hmm. I knew an education was bloody important. But you had dementia. People with Not dementia. Back then. No, I know. I'm talking <laughs> about. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about. A few oh, years oh, yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. You, you had dementia, yeah. and you were going to go to university. Yeah, Did anyone say to you, "Don't aim so high"? Uh, you know. Not really. They, they questioned you. Know, why do you want to go to university? Who did? Who questioned you? Oh, friends or people that I was speaking to. And they, they just sort of shake their heads and say, you're nuts, that kind of stuff, you know. How did you find the classes? Like, how, how did well, you find the... Well, they were difficult. <laughs> they were difficult. Oh, man, the first two years. I was learning to, to learn again. The kind of courses that would really get to me were memorizing names, dates, and places. Like, I knew them, but I couldn't memorize them, and they wouldn't come to me automatically. Uh
Yeah, it, it, it was difficult. To Ron, difficult doesn't mean impossible. He did two years at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo before transferring to Western University's King's College in London, which was much closer to home. We'll be right back. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, the story of Ron Robert, who graduated from university just last fall, despite being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. For Ron, having dementia was enough of an issue. Then his vision began to fail, and he was diagnosed with macular degeneration. Ron met both challenges with some formidable strengths, among them a humble capacity to ask for help. So I, I had a lot of good accommodations. Um, King's accessibility department is great. It, it's really a wonderful department, and, and the people that work in there really care. So we would sit down sometimes and talk about what my problems were, and they would suggest how to do it. And then I'd get a hold of the IT guy when I was still on the computer, and we'd work it out. So it really came together really well. And then as I lost more and more, then the last two courses I took, I had two great uh, professors, Professor Andrea Lafour and Andrew and, and uh, Graham, oh, I can't forget, can't remember Graham's name. If you're listening, Graham, sorry. Uh, they both had that, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Empathy. Empathy. They both had a lot of empathy, and they both had a knack. So Andrea, she would go up, we'd go on the uh, Zoom and then talk about number of things and then she would write she would record the lectures and I found myself reading the lectures four or five times and I would really solidify them in my mind and that really helped mm -hmm. and then when we did the tests or the quizzes or the exams she would always know when I'm stuck somehow even before I got stuck I think she, and she'd just say one or two key words, and oh. that's all I needed. Oh, wow. And Graham was the same way. Mm -hmm. Did you make friends with the, oh, with the students? I loved the students, yeah. I had a lot of good friends at, at, at uh, Laurier. Uh, and in fact, that's another thing about Alzheimer's and university. I found the real bonus were the students. The schooling, of course, was key. But the socializing with the uh, students, big, big time help. That was just tremendous. So you made friends with what, 19, 20, 21 year old oh, uh, yeah. fellow students? 17, 18 year olds. Some of them were quite young. And the funny part is sometimes they would come to me with their problems because <laughs> I was looked at like the old grandfather on the campus, I guess. And they felt comfortable speaking to me. 
To earn his four-year bachelor's degree, Ron passed courses in history, political science, and other disciplines, 35 in all. So um, all of that work at university was culminating towards, you know, culminated in a graduation. What yeah. was it like to graduate? Oh, my God, that, that's going to be the highlight of my life. Like, that was just wonderful. And when I went across the stage, and as I'm getting my diploma, the kids all stood up and, and yelled and clapped. And I, oh, I had to hold back the tears. To, it was something else. It was just wonderful. And that's why I feel, I, I just feel that obligation and not only helping the Alzheimer's, but also helping them too somehow, like with accommodations for how they come up. And that gentleman I was talking to, Paul Wilton, he's now uh, in accessibility, and I think he's in charge. I'm, if I get this wrong, Paul, forgive me. Uh, he's in charge of accommodations, and I couldn't think of a better guy to be a head of accommodations. Mm-hmm. He's been with me ever since day one. He was the first one I met at King's. So yeah, so that that helps those kids, and and I can remember sitting in class, and we had a few uh, um, post-traumatic stress uh, students, and I could just see me and them somehow because of the anxiety, because that's one of the parts of uh, Alzheimer's, and I thought they should be getting more accommodations like I am. But I don't think they knew enough to ask or if accommodation people weren't really aware of how bad they were. Because mm-hmm. sometimes they'd burst out crying in class. Mm-hmm. And I'd take the individual out. So you feel like their needs weren't being met? Yeah, totally. I think they, the efforts were there and it was just out of oversight, I suppose. But I just felt as if they had the same kind of uh, professors that I had, for example, that had that empathy, they would have been so much better off. Degree in hand, Ron has been working on his next challenge, coaching health professionals on how to better understand the health needs of people with dementia. After your degree, after getting your degree, you've, Mm -hmm. you've moved on, and I know that you speak to medical students. Yes. What do you talk to them about? Empathy is the key. Uh, and little things like when 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 that patient comes into your office, take five minutes to relax them or her. Don't just jump in. Okay, what are your symptoms? Kind of thing. Because I know from my own experience that when I'm pressed, I get nervous, and when I get nervous, then I babble. And how the hell am I going to be able to tell him the symptoms? And so he's not doing himself a favor or her. By not taking that five minutes at the beginning, and especially with well, seniors, period, actually, when I really think about it, but especially with people with this forms of dementia and like Alzheimer's, it, it's all about that empathy. Ron, do you get to talk to people who have dementia? Oh, yeah, quite often. What do you say to them? You know, I like to first ask them how they are, and then we sit down and just sort of chit-chat about the weather or whatever, and then I, I fall slowly ask them, what did you do in your career before this? And then they start to slowly open up, and then we talk more about all their interests. I want, or I'll say, you know, do you have a wife and family? And, oh, yeah, I got two boys. And all of a sudden, we're chatting like two normal people. Well, we're normal people, of course, but two 
people that aren't affected by Alzheimer's, if you will. They're just people. Yeah, but yeah, that's exactly right. We're all just people. Perhaps the most important thing that Ron has going for him is the care, support, and love he receives from his wife, Catherine. She was there at the clinic the day Ron's doctor told him he had dementia and could no longer drive a car. She was there cheering him on the day he got his diploma and every day in between. Catherine, I just want to ask you something. Um, you said something very early on that, that I think a lot of people would find startling, and I want to go back to it. You said he stabilized. His, his, you said that Ron's memory stabilized. Oh, yes. How long has he been diagnosed with dementia? I would say this is going on year seven. Year seven? Mm-hmm. And, and how's his memory now compared to the, the beginning? Not as, but it's, it's a little bit not as good, but overall, it's still pretty good. That's really? pretty astonishing because, because in, for a lot of other people, mm-hmm. you know, dementia goes a lot faster. So right. why do you think that is? I think it's just because he keeps his mind active. You know, like he's always, um, every morning when, he's, when he gets up, he's always cheery, singing happy songs. Mm-hmm. So a positive attitude yes. is important. Mm-hmm. Oh, big time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yes. Oh, I think positive attitude is key. I think it's so important. I, you know, when I'm at the long-term care or I go into some of the nursing homes and I see the people just sitting there doing nothing and I... And there, it always seems there's a, a sadness in the air for crying out loud, and you can feel it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think, oh wow, if I could just get into their heads for a while, and just get them moving. And that's why it's so important that I speak to all these Alzheimer's groups, and I want to do the big surveys. My next uh, next big move will be, and it's a study actually. You know, uh, what I want to do is study the best practices for teaching people with dementia or other uh, difficulties with learning, because I think that can be expanded tremendously. Mm -hmm. And the study I want to do is more with the, it's for Alzheimer's, by Alzheimer's, and their caretakers, because I think the caretakers are so important in Alzheimer's, I mean, in, in dementia overall, mm-hmm. that with the right attitude, they can help an awful lot. But if, if, they, if they're too soft on you, and that my brothers went through that, I can recall that. They, they couldn't even get up and get their own coffee for crying out loud. And so the, at the early stages, not at the very last. And it was sweetness, and the God bless them. They're, they were both very sweet ladies. But it's important that but, that people not be helpless. Exactly. That they that they be encouraged to do more, right not on. do less. You're right on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The more I have to do, the better I do it. So Catherine pushed you? Oh yeah. No, she doesn't push me. I, I we sort of do it as a team. She's not a pushy lady. But she's not somebody to say, "Oh, you shouldn't do oh, that." No, no, you can't no, do oh, that. No. no, Catherine's not that way. She's at encouraging all. you. Yeah. Yeah. The guy make the beds, but sometimes I like to don't do it well, but just go up and correct it. But she won't talk to me about it. She won't tell me. Or I take out the garbage or I clean up my own little smoking area in the in the basement. And I am a smoker. Eighty five and I haven't learned my lesson yet. So. Mm. <laughs> do you ever worry about about dementia being progressive, getting worse? Yes. I don't worry. 
Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, you worry about things. You only worry about things you can't change. So I don't worry about that. Like death, death doesn't scare me. I'm quick. I'm, well, when that's another, brings up another point. I wrote a, uh, a living will when I was uh, diagnosed finally. And my living will is, you know, when I no longer recognize my wife and my children, give me the needle. Give my body to... Uh, Science, medical to research. Medical research at uh, Western. Western. And farm the body for any good organs and take the brain and figure it out, slice it up if you have to, teach with it. I'll be happy with that. That'd be the best for me. So I'm all ready. But I'm not going. <laughs> not for a while, anyway. <laughs> I hope not. No, I'm 85, and I'm in good health overall. You know, ups and downs, bumps in the road that you get when you get older. Accept them and then work with them. And then we're all going to get bumps in the road as we get old. It's inevitable. We are. Well, like Thanatology says, we're all going to die, so accept it and start living. And until you do accept it, you can't live. Wow. That's that's pretty it's profound. Deep, doesn't I it? appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. Can't yeah. can't beat that for, for an ending to our conversation. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed speaking to the two of you. Oh uh, we enjoyed it too. I believe for me, I really enjoyed it. Catherine, you enjoyed it? Yes, I enjoyed it as well. It was very um, insightful to hear more things that Ron shared again that I forgot. <laughs> I got the Alzheimer's, not you. <laughs> oh, she's a great caregiver. <laughs> Yeah, having having a great partner is oh, oh. is absolutely essential. Yeah, and even those partners that aren't so great now can be. Yeah, but nobody's teaching them, and I don't think we listen to caregivers enough. Caregivers are key. You're speaking my language. Good. <laughs> as a, as somebody who's been a caregiver more than once, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Nice to talk to you. Nice talking to you. Thank you as well. Each time I listen to my conversation with Ron Robert, I pick out another gem that he and Catherine had to say. Ron says he doesn't fret over the aspects of dementia that he can't change. Those are words that each of us can live by. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Jeff Goods with help from Amina Zoffer and Stephanie Dubois. Our digital producer is Adam Killick. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.